Welcome to Positive Space. We are excited to announce our shout-out award winners. As you know, the FATE membership had an opportunity to nominate an adjunct lecturer or non-tenure-track individual interested in attending the FATE 2017 conference, and this would enable an individual to do that. We are able to give out three awards, so we have three winners, and we're going to hear from those three winners in a moment along with their nominating faculty. Ralph Pouguet is a very talented artist who graduated from Portland State University and has been teaching in our program, except for a short stint over at VCU, for a number of years. He was recently appointed the James DePriest Visiting Professor of Ethnic Art to increase appreciation for cultural and ethnic diversity in the classroom and in the community. He is a person full of ideas and energy with plans to begin a summer pre-college program at PSU. Ralph is a member of the core team and will have an active part in shaping our new program. The program and Ralph would benefit greatly from the chance to participate in the conference. The shout-out award would make it possible for him to attend. I'm Kimberly Winkle. I'm an associate professor in the School of Art, Craft, and Design at Tennessee Tech University. And I nominated Amy Rydell for a FATE shout out award. Amy teaches foundations at St. Louis Community College and St. Louis University. She teaches a wide range of courses including drawing, painting, design, some art appreciation, and at each of these schools and in all of her classes Amy works tirelessly in support of her foundation students. She teaches at multiple schools and always arranges creative ways to highlight and exhibit her students' artwork off campus. These activities provide them with incredibly valuable exhibition and real-world experiences. She genuinely cares for her students, and she routinely provides them guidance in the classroom and through life. She's an extraordinarily genuine and generous educator and mentor to these students, and she greatly deserves this opportunity. As an adjunct faculty member at two different schools, unfortunately, neither of those institutions in which she teaches offers financial support for her to attend the Ever Valuable Fate Conference. So I'm so grateful and thankful to Fate for making this award possible, and I'm tickled pink that Amy Rydell is the recipient of one of the awards. She is so deserving of the award. I'm Amy Rydell, and I'm an adjunct instructor at St. Louis Community College Merrimack and St. Louis University, and I'm so honored and thankful to have received a FATE shout-out award so that I can attend the 2017 conference in Kansas City. Um, without this help, there is no way at all I'd be able to go to the conference, and I've been to two others, and I learned a great deal. So I'm so thankful that this support exists when maybe other supports don't. Hi, this is Susan Trinkle. I am the Interim Dean for Visual Arts and Humanities at Metropolitan Community College in Omaha, Nebraska. My colleague Tricia Hollins and I nominated Victoria Hoyt 
because she has a passion for adapting course curriculum to better serve our students. She likes to teach at one of our campuses in um, North Omaha where she works with a lot of diversity and uh, she has some good experiences working in the community. She has um, a position at the Union for Contemporary Art in North Omaha and we believe that um, her efforts um, have really uh, been great to help students engage in real, real world activities. She's been successfully teaching 2D design and elementary drawing. She's also raising her young family and uh, still manages to attend our workshops and keep up with an extensive exhibition history. This would be Victoria's first time attending FATE, and she's expressed special interest in attending this year because Casey is so close to Omaha, and we think that she could really um, benefit by being at the conference, and she'd be a great boost to our students and the curriculum that she offers to them. Um, and so we would like to thank FATE for offering her the financial assistance. My name is Victoria Hoyt and I teach at Metro Community College in Omaha, Nebraska. I was very excited to receive the news that I was one of the shout out award winners and I'll be attending FATE for the first time. I've heard a lot of good things about the conference and I'm just excited to learn about what people are doing in their foundations classes and how to keep improving my curriculum. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes. Welcome to Positive Space. Today we've got Carrie Fonder from the University of West Florida and Jason Swift from Plymouth State University having a conversation with us. And so I'm going to give them an opportunity to tell us a little bit about, you know, what they teach, what kind of classes they teach, and maybe um, a little bit about their art practice. So why don't we start with Carrie? Hello. <laughs> um I'm Carrie, as you mentioned. Um, I am, um, I call myself a mixed media sculptor, though, well, I've called myself that for a while. I realized that that's kind of a moving target at this moment. And I do a lot of mixed kind of practices within my work. So I'm not sure how long I'll be married to that particular phrase, but for now it stands. And I teach at the University of West Florida, as you mentioned. And right now I'm teaching 2D design, drawing. I teach some art appreciation to non-majors. And occasionally I, I get an advanced class. And this semester I've been teaching an installation class. So just to mix things up a bit. Wow, great. And how about you, Jason? Kind of as Carrie just said, I, I just got rebranded a mixed media artist. <laughs> <laughs> It's on a flyer now. <laughs> it's official. It, it's official. Um, I do a bit of everything. Uh, I started out as very much a traditional sculptor using steel, 
Uh, that evolved over time as I moved around from state to state. So I do everything, uh, video, mixed media, sound pieces are starting to come out now for me that are installation-like, drawing, printmaking. So I'm all over the place. I really just pretty much take advantage of anything that's ripe for what I need to make, pretty much. And my job up here at Plymouth State University, um, I don't teach studio courses anymore. I did that for a really long time. And now I am, well, since I've come up to Plymouth, I've been the coordinator of the undergraduate and graduate art education programs. Uh, I used to teach foundation sculpture up here. I teach uh, pedagogy, theory, methods, courses, material exploration course that's not a traditional studio course. And starting in the spring, I'll be the chair of the art department. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's that's wonderful. These are the things that happen when you're away on sabbatical. (laughs) You got voted in when you were not at the meeting? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, gosh, well, I I thought that you guys would, would be, you know, a really fun conversation to have together, you know, because of the mixed media connection, but also because you guys both do classes and have kind of a a history of teaching classes that deal with writing and with lecture components. And I was just kind of curious, like, in terms of thinking about, you know, art appreciation or even art education, how do you, how do you think about giving students an opportunity to have like a foundation for understanding art and, and understanding studio courses? Uh, it's a really good question. Carrie, do you want to give it a stab first? <laughs> sure. Well, so as I mentioned, my, my angle would be the art appreciation angle. And those classes are 80-seat lecture halls. So I have a lot of non-majors who, you know, they're, they're fulfilling their humanities electives. And some of them are in there certainly because they think it'll be the lesser of the evils. So... What I try to do is I try to use a lot of humor in my classes, regardless of what we're up to, um, because I think that just kind of creating an easy, relaxed atmosphere in those settings is really useful. And then from there, I do, as you mentioned, I mix lecture. Um, I also mix a lot of like hands-on activities when I can. For example, one of my activities in an art appreciation class is we'll, we'll be talking about the Renaissance, we'll move into the Baroque period, and then we'll watch the video Tim's Vermeer, uh, which is about the idea that Vermeer used optical devices to assist him in creating his paintings. And then from there, we go into a couple of days worth of, of lab days where my students are engaging with different drawing machines and different drawing methods. And they're really, really simple drawing machines but you know we have an example of Durr's door we have an old school version of Durr's door with strings and then we do one we do one with a laser pointer as well so I try to do things like that that really mix things up so that I'm interspersing lecture and more hands-on active kind of experiential stuff to kind of 
Yeah, and then in that context, it really allows the students to, a lot of the students are not interested in making, and it allows them to play with the drawing machines and actually have that experience of working, of creating a drawing, but it's through the examination of the drawing machine. So it's kind of detached from outcome, and they don't have this pressure, like they're going to make something great. They're really just examining the experience. Oh, that's great. So it's more sort of about the process rather than this thing at the end that has to be really perfect or specific. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, nice. Well, I'm I'm wondering, how do you get 80 people just to move (laughs) around? I mean, without it, are you in like a large tent or something? I mean, how how is this working? Just in like the logistical sense, I'm thinking of like an auditorium being sort of restrictive sometimes. Yeah, it is challenging. So it is, I wish we had a large tent and I I think I'm going to put that on my list for next year for supplies. Um, But we are, we're moving around an auditorium space. So we have, we squeeze in tables. I have them at the beginning of the semester, I put them into learning groups so that they have a community with a smaller community within the larger classroom. So then they move through um, with their groups from station to station, basically, and then examine the different, you know, machines that are at that particular station. Oh, wow. That's really incredible. Well, and I'm curious, Jason, like how, how have you handled different kinds of activities within, within a classroom space to sort of get students more engaged than just sort of sitting there and kind of being passive learners? I... I've got a bunch of different things I do depending upon the class. One of the things that I I started doing recently, which has been really effective, is they have to run the conversation. So if we're working with, say, like a philosophy-based or a theory-based reading, they have to come in with at least three to four questions, and the whole discussion is dependent upon them using those questions to interact with each other. And so I just moderate. I, I, I'll do just a moderation. The other times I'll do things such as um, visual thinking strategies or aesthetic scanning if we're talking about aesthetic theory. And we'll look at a work of art and we'll go through that activity and then we'll unpack it or deconstruct it and talk about how it was useful in terms of getting us to actually see without you having the burden of art history on us telling us what we're supposed to see. So that first initial, innocent, uncluttered aesthetic experience. And I also get them to do a lot of team uh, activities. Now, my classes are very different size from Carrie's that she just described. <laughs> uh, very, very, very different. So, so they'll get out, and I make them go out into the community and do sometimes aesthetic analysis of everyday objects in terms of What's, what is the potential for it in terms of art making or understanding aesthetic qualities in their world or taking a walk and collecting things, bringing them back, and then talking about the potential uh, that they have, whether in a work of art or just discovery of the visual qualities. And I also, in my studio-based course, I don't allow them to make art and that gets a lot of talking going, even though they are doing studio exploration. So they get to, together, they get to confront traditional formal practices and how they prevent them from uh, actually being in the moment, in the process, discovering and sharing ideas. So those oh, are some wow. Yeah, well, and I mean, it sounds like you guys have, there's a lot of things in common, as I suspected there might be, um, (laughs) in terms of, you know, thinking about how to get 
all of our students engaged in this thing called like the world and really thinking about what it means to be part of that kind of larger community. And I'm curious, how do you go about sort of setting up those kinds of conversations like specifically? Are, are there activities that or questions that you've asked that that help whenever you're going on a walk, for example, like you mentioned, Jason or Carrie, when, you know, when you kind of set up, I know you guys just did um, an inflatable thing on campus, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. So how, how do you kind of set the students up for those, those experiences being, you know, as meaningful as possible? Well, so in terms of the inflatable that we just did on campus, that one was, um, it was my first time trying an inflatable of any sort. And now I know it's a pretty common activity in different settings, but I had been, actually we had, um, I had traveled over the summer and I was down in Peru and saw at a museum, I saw this piece called the Museo Aero Solar. When I got home, I spent some time doing some research on it. And it's basically an inflatable that's made out of plastic bags, like recycled or repurposed as it would be, plastic bags just taped together with packaging tape. And the original idea, this is, um, the project originates with the artist Thomas Saraceno, and he, his vision for it is that it would be this, it would be an inflatable museum that is a lighter than air sculpture. So you would, in its, in its optimal experience, you would create this bubble essentially and you would inflate it with cold air in the morning like right as sun is rising and then allow the heat of the day to to warm up the air inside and to create your piece to lift off so he has this whole he has a wonderful website that talks a lot about his project and it's kind of it's a community-based ongoing. He encourages people, people from all over the world have done it. So I thought it was a really great piece to try to bite off with my students because I do like to integrate those hands-on experiences. And at the same time, I was able to pair it with, in my community, uh, 350 Pensacola was doing um, Clean Energy Fest and an exhibition that was um, an accompaniment to that. So I... We, I was able to work with the students and they were able to submit that as a piece for the exhibition as well. So they, and then when it was at the exhibition, they had, you know, Sharpies available and things like that. So community members were able to interact with it between, they were able to get inside of it, but then they also wrote on it and drew on it and things like that. So. Oh, wow. And so how do you feel like you can, you know, gauge if those kinds of activities are working? Does, does that make sense? And because I, I know we do things on campus and, you know, it's, it's really exciting and it's, it's wonderful. And I feel like the process is, is really useful for the students. But then I often look back on it and go, well, that that happened, you know, and it's like, was that, you know, how do you sort of assess those kinds of activities to to know sort of how to improve upon them in the future? And I mean, I think this is really for both of you guys, because I know you both do a lot of things that involve various community kind of walking around and doing different things yeah it's 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 tough sometimes i have i have one project that just think about that feedback and modifying it um and assessing its success in uh my studio explorations course um, my students will either work individually or they pair up with someone and they have to come up with a research question to where 
they have to go out into the community, interact with the community, and ask them questions to collect data, and then visualize their results in an animation. So I'm trying to teach them stop frame animation, but also how the their work that they're doing. There's a there can be this really intense process in terms of uh, doing research and engagement with others, whether it be one person, the community, or a collaborator to create a work of art that says something. And and so I've done this about two or three times now. And that idea of assessing it, I like I look I try not to base success of it on how great the videos are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> because we're also we also have the challenge we're only using cell phones and smartphones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they're only allowed to use that and often uh, they'll edit right within the phone unless they uh, transferred over to iMovie. But I utilize a debriefing that they write up after they do it to see if they start to recognize the aesthetic choices and decisions they're making within their studio process and why they know something's successful, why they know something was not successful and the reasons and how to make it successful and then also those ideas for the future. And I use that as a part of the assessment to gauge how they're comprehending the information, the, the processes, and then also potentially how they know that this can connect to another thing that they do, whether it's doing a research paper or working on their own uh, studio area concentration, whether it be mm-hmm. 3D or 2D. So, so I try to focus on uh, qualitative feedback as a way to help me improve the project better meet their needs as learners and helping them grasp what what the uh, objectives of the project are. That's really smart. That's really smart. Well, and, and I know that there are lots of trendy things happening in foundations, and it seems like across the university, community engagement is something we hear a lot about, you know, as well as like recruitment and all other sorts of things. But, mm-hmm. um, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, if there's somebody that's maybe listening to this podcast that's like thinking about considering doing something in the future with their own classes that might engage the community or that might take things sort of outside the classroom walls. Do you have any advice or like strategies that, that you could offer for that? Maybe we'll start first with Carrie. <laughs> oh, I was thinking you were going to start with Jason. Oh, bummer, bummer. Um, you got this, Carrie. You got it. <laughs> I think the thing, this, I mean, for me, the simple strategies, I'm, I'm at the, the beginning levels in that I'm in a new community. So the strategies for me have really been about making the contacts in the community and understanding who's, you know, excited about making things happen. And then it seems like, it seems like that can really help to ta- to um, just facilitate opportunities. And I've been very fortunate in that way that one door is opened, another is opened, another, and that there are a lot of people in this community who are really open um, to doing different things with students and, and welcoming them into the, into different spaces to do, you know, pop-up shows or to do, you know, um, I just had my uh, my installation students just did uh, were part of a show that was a series called Curated Compassion, where all the proceeds to the event go to um, different different charities, and they made an interactive. Uh, they worked in teams to make interactive sculptures for it. So, in terms of the more nuts and bolts strategies, I think I'll lob that over to Jason. 
Thanks. Uh, well, I I actually really focus on uh, community arm wrestling. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, uh, you know, depending upon where you live, I'm I'm in a really s- small community, so it can be kind of hard to make those community contacts. So sometimes it's really guerrilla strategies. Just the simple fact that my students go down on Main Street and start to ask strangers questions simply like. One time their research project for the animation was based around just a simple question of, I want, what do you want in your life? And so getting them to become familiar faces uh, with the folks in the community that they just sort of see every day, even if it's not in a a formalized kind of activity. And the other things too is um, I think the fun factor. We tried one thing where we went out and set up tables and we taught people how to make kites and how to fly them. That's wonderful. And, yeah. and, it, and so it challenged them in terms of how do you take something that's very simple but sometimes complex and actually learn how to interact with someone you don't know, really clearly explain something to, uh, to them, get, get them really excited about it. Uh, we even did uh, sometimes the projects will be based upon the students' uh, dispositions and moods, like exam time they were really frustrated so i said well how does it feel when someone comes up and smiles at you and just gives you a high five and they're like man it makes me feel awesome so we we went out did that one day on campus for all the folks (laughs) that's wonderful so so it's the kind of thing of like i I mean they're ephemeral but I, i think kind of that impact can be really cool and then it starts to create this buzz of folks thinking well what are you going to do next hey can i be a part of this and and so it builds that community of engagement around the expectation of, of, of things happening in your community. That's really wonderful. That really is. Well, and, and since you guys are both creators that um, tend to use various materials, you know, in your own practice, do you feel like that's something that has found its way into your classrooms in terms of whether you're teaching like 2D or drawing or art education or, you know, whatever, how do you kind of decide what materials to kind of work with in terms of with your students, with, with curriculum development? Hmm. Hmm. I mean, there's Uh, practicality of, uh, and I, I think Carrie will really agree with this too, that in certain classes we're stuck because if it's a mm. foundations level course, there are certain materials that are super important for the students to uh, get their hands on, understand, and and become kind of well versed with. I mean, when I was teaching foundation sculpture, I mean, it it's you really can't break away from the canon in a way in terms of learning to work with plaster. You know, simply how you cut uh, and put together foam core to create compound angles, open. Uh, open forms, planar forms. Mm-hmm. So, so learning those skills, that foundation, that language is super important to set it up to when you're with the students, say, in a different class, then you can turn it on in and start to break that to where any material can be possible based upon what their expression might be. And then hopefully getting to the point where they understand that the skills and understanding and experience they gain in those foundation level courses are not exclusive to a very specific uh, discipline or material or is what is really popular to say now, the silo, but 
for them to understand that this is their visual vocabulary, this is their repertoire of, of art skills and understanding, and that there is no one material they're supposed to be married to, but that they pick and choose based upon maybe what the conceptual challenge is or mm-hmm. the, the big idea. So, and, and also, too, to be experimenters, uh, explore, to explore the materials and learn you know, from that. So, so sometimes I'll throw, throw a giant curveball. And um, when I taught in New York, my graduate-level sculpture classes, when I got towards the end, I would have done a, a pretty good assessment and understanding of what the students hated to touch <laughs> and then we got to a point and then they had to use the material that they were most against and to see how they could tap, you know, deep into their own repertoire and overcome that. So kind of like getting them out of their comfort level with certain materials is also really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. What what are your thoughts, Carrie? Well, it's interesting that, Jason, you started talking about, like, the the certain things that you can't break away from. Um, in my 2D design class right now, we are painting, and I caught myself in a moment of pining for gouache. <laughs> I love gouache now, yes. I know. I'm like, you know, back in the day, we would paint gouache squares, and it was amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which I know is is a slightly perverse thing to say. And my students are not painting gouache squares, but we are definitely, I mean, we're using acrylics just for cost-effective reasons and things like that. So we, within the context of my 2D design class, we'll do things like um, do a lot of hand-based work. So we are dealing with the materials and exploration in that physical way. But then we'll go from a physical exploration of color to they just did something app-based, so that they were playing. I have a few different color apps that I really like. One is called Blenduku. It's basically Sudoku with color. And so they're <laughs> learning. That's just game-based, just to, like, familiarize them with color and how it works. And it's it's really quite good. But then they, um, you know, were playing with some transparencies and things like that in, in another app called Isometric, where they, um, which is actually uh, a tip I got from another fader. So... So we're we're going between different different ways of approaching a singular thing. Whereas in my drawing classes, I have I kind of fluctuate between doing some really straightforward, more traditional observational things. And then I have some really experimental uh, activities and projects in between so that students within the experimental ones, they are freestyling in terms of their material choices. So it gives them an opportunity to kind of gravitate towards different things of interest. And those projects are all very low impact in terms of their grade so that I can really encourage them to take risks with things and not feel like if they have some kind of unexpected, unhappy outcome that it's going to impact them grade-wise. That's really smart. There's one thing, Carrie, you said about that risk thing. I mean, students get so focused on the end product having to be golden that they're so afraid to take those risks and then they're not even aware of what they're they're learning and discovering in just that act of of making. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. I mean, this is 
completely right on. Um, I, I'm wondering at your different institutions, I mean, how does it, how is foundation sort of defined? I mean, maybe now's a good time to kind of mention that just in terms of like what classes are considered. And Jason, I know you mentioned the materials often feel sort of like you're stuck with these kind of things that we're expected to use or things that are maybe typical. And so um, I'm kind of curious to hear a little bit more about what courses are considered like in foundations where you're teaching and then also what materials or how much like writing is, is happening in those kind of foundation courses? Yeah, well, we um, just last year finished our first year of our brand new foundations curriculum. Oh, wow. Yeah, so uh, uh, the task force, we gathered the folks, you know, art history to, to me, printmaking. We all got together and um, developed a curriculum that uh, was a really good balance honoring those important traditional materials and processes that really need to be learned, but also um, helping the students to start to really practice and and uh, build the foundation for some more uh, challenging, like conceptual problem solving mm. and um, even problem posing, creating problems to be able to solve the problem, but still, but but keeping it on that freshman level because. Uh, the students that can come to us come from a, a variety of public art, I mean, uh, public school art programs that have varying levels of success. So we have drawing, we have uh, 2D design, we have uh, 3D design, and we have two art history courses included in the foundations that have been switched to from the traditional survey to one focuses on visual cultures, the other focuses on, like, say, the idea of the the twelve great monuments around the world. Um, Interesting. Yeah, and, and and a brand new course. We we uh, worked really hard on uh, a digital course, but we didn't want the digital course to be like another graphic design course because we want the students to understand that digital technology is just one of those tools within their artistic repertoire, and the creation does not begin and end within the machine, the digital machine, but it becomes one thing that they can draw on for anything, anything from uh, painting to printmaking to sculpture. Um, and even our art history has become uh, much more hands-on, tapping into some of the studio practices for the students to be able to do projects that are more visually based. So we try to find we've tried to find a really good balance between the the formal skills they need to learn the materials they need to be exposed to as well as helping them to start to exercise those conceptual problem solving skills oh that's really exciting well so what about you carrie what, what's going on at western florida well, um, we are, similarly, we have the foundational 2D, 3D, drawing, art history. We are, we're really in the process of looking at alignment within our curriculum and just reflecting on, reflecting on how our foundations needs to best serve our upper level courses. And what something that's sticking in my mind right now, because it was really interesting to me and it made me think of Jason just talking about, you know, the digital class and how you don't want it to be another graphic design. We have a really strong graphic design program and we have another we have a digital art program as well. So 
one of the things that recently came up, we were talking about the integration of technology into the foundation's classroom, which I advocate for, and in a light way. We don't have a ton of um, lab space at this point, and our labs are heavily taxed. So to try to get any of the foundation's classes into those spaces right now is just not possible. So like you said, Jason, you know, when we're doing things in, for example, 2D design, I'm using stuff that's app-based rather than, or phone-based rather than, you know, trying to go sit down at a Mac. Um, but one of the things that came from one of the graphic designers just in our last meeting was that he was really in support of not integrating much technology into the foundational, you know, 2D design drawing classes in that he felt like there was such a value coming out of those classes in terms of slowing students down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And just that once they, you know, get to their upper level classes, that they're at least they've had that that moment to, you know, as they're, you know, painting or as they're drawing or exploring different materials, that they're really trying to slow the process down and reflect more time to reflect just based on the slower speed of the materials. Um, so that was an interesting bit of feedback that that just came my way that I thought was interesting to share. That that does make a lot of sense, though. I mean, thinking about just the skill of knowing how to cut a straight line, you know, and how to use a ruler. I mean, all, all of these things, you know, seem, seem really silly, but I mean, they're really valuable skills, like regardless of what you're going into in, in art or just in life. Um, and so I think, yeah, that, that seems like a really important conversation. Cause like, when do you bring in technology? It's really sexy. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. But, um, scissors are also, really cool too you know but but maybe maybe not as much you know we did just like carrie we when we set out on this new curriculum um the feedback uh definitely our graphic design program it's the largest here in our in our art department they wanted those skills they said we need them coming to us knowing how to measure cut foam core sit down draw out their ideas and another cool thing carrie you mentioning about the uh, that that scaffolding that that um, role that the foundations plays through the intermediate and the upper level that was also a concern of ours too because we looked at you know what are the what do they need to gather to be successful as they keep going through whatever discipline they choose and we're still in the infancy so we have yet to see but we're trying you know we even we talk about app based we have a digital component in every single one of the foundations course as well as collaborative projects we felt were really important to help them exercise talking to each other, using the art terms, the concepts, and so on. Well, and I'm curious, how did you guys go about having these kinds of conversations with, within your program? I mean, I think you mentioned a, a task force. Yeah. That, that sounds amazing. Was there like a... <laughs> we, we, we all got uniforms. No. We had, we had ranks. I no, I mean, uh, it's actually the task force concept here at my school is uh, actually pretty common uh, throughout for a lot of things when it's it's kind of a challenging thing that we need to tackle. So what we did, our NASAT accreditation, gaining NASAT accreditation, acted as, an, as a confirming cementing catalyst to really 
shine the light on what we already knew, which was we were ready to update our foundations program. Mm -hmm. So amongst all of our full-time faculty, we put together a task force to get this job done. And I think we worked on it for two years. Um, but we were, we had the folks on there that represented the broad spectrum of the disciplines and ideas from the department. And so as we worked and we started to develop in curriculum, we also had to continue to talk to everyone in the department from our teaching, teaching lecturers who are our adjuncts to our full-time folks who were not on the task force. So we were continuously checking with them, gathering information. So we didn't work in an isolated way and then pop mm. up like, you know, the, ta-da! <laughs> Surprise! This is what you're doing now. Yeah. <laughs> we tried to have as much transparency and communication as possible. And I think that's super important when, when tackling these challenging, big changes. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I know that in when I think about like projects that you guys have mentioned or just like activities, I mean, I think being able to instill this, this idea of communication and collaboration and thinking about the community beyond yourself, you know, I feel like that's such a um, important thing, you know, that our students learn about the world and how to engage in the world um, in a, in a really specific way. I mean, there are there, are there challenges that you've experienced in terms of thinking about bringing about change, whether it's in the curriculum or in the classroom? Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> all right. So here, here's, uh, here's the thing I learned and I read an article that confirmed it, that faculty are the biggest barriers to change in higher education. Yeah. So mm -hmm. no matter how much we want change, we've got five more of us standing in the way because they're either too comfortable or so on. So if we're trying to do something that really gets our students engaged in the community and we've got a lot of folks that don't want that and feel comfortable staying isolated in the academy, we have to win them over. We have to find ways to break down the barriers and get them to learn the importance of it, but not say that they have to you know, be a part of it. Or, or actually, say, teach service learning or community projects. Um, it's really challenging. Even here at our university, we're, in two and a half years, we're dissolving all departments, and we won't have chairs. And we, really? Yep. And we're only going to have clusters, which have already uh -huh. been established, such as, like, art and technology, and your program can join whichever cluster you feel you are best suited for but it's it's a new radical model uh for a university that's supposed to promote interdisciplinarity multidisciplinarity cross-disciplinarity community engagement and really push this concept <laughs> of the traditional liberal arts university so so it's a big change that's supposed to get everyone out there engaged in their community wow well i'll be curious to hear how that goes that, that sounds like it has a lot of potential it does. It's really exciting. That is. Yeah. That does sound really exciting. Well, and I'm. I'm. You know. I think sometimes it can be challenging. I, I know where I am to to sort of think about projects that really encourage students to really think about the world. You know, or think about mm -hmm. their place in the world. I mean, I think it's 
at least for me, I found it a little bit easier to come up with projects that maybe engage their own experience or their own memory or those kinds of things. Um, but, but projects that involve global things or current events maybe I think can, can just be a little challenging. And I'm curious, like, how do you guys, how do you guys tackle that in, in the classroom? Hmm. That's a hard one. I feel like, I don't feel like I have any um, real specific projects that that address issues of community or, well, I mean, we do and we don't. It depends. Like I said, it's kind of the flow of opportunities arising. But in terms of being global citizens, but I do find that within our depreciation, there are ample opportunities to discuss our understanding of culture and our understanding of our culture's lens as we relate to the work, work that is less familiar to us that are coming from varied cultures. And it's so, I mean, one of the things that I find so interesting um, that comes up is that things that are so embedded for us within the arts our students just are just in the beginning stages of understanding and specifically when I'm dealing with general education students like my example that I'm thinking of right now is that someone um, we were talking about some African some historic African masks and someone used the word primitive and mm. it there was a conversation the lecture you know it was, <laughs> it was a great moment it was a wonderful moment and all the slides you know got saved for next week because it was out there and it was a wonderful thing for us to engage in and it was also this moment of like I don't want to put you on the spot for having used the word but let's understand the implications of it and thank you so much for bringing this to my attention so we can talk about it and yeah it's I mean so I think that within that context art appreciation is just filled with opportunities Absolutely. Well, and, and one one word I'm, I'm hearing you guys both use in different ways is this this idea of like research, you know, and, and wanting our students to engage in research, um, wanting them to think for themselves, ask questions, and solve problems, and and all of that is wonderful. And I think sometimes really challenging to figure out like literally how to do it. And do you guys have any? any tips or any thoughts or any ways in which you found it helpful to sort of navigate getting students even understanding what research is like it's not just googling something you know um, <laughs> um, yeah. but, but, but really trying to think of that as like trying to build some kind of a habit that perhaps would continue beyond you know their college year or something yeah it's it, it is really challenging yeah, I only taught graduate students before I started, came up there and started working with undergraduate students. So I got, I, I became real, really well versed in working with them in terms of traditional uh, research methodology. But that can be really kind of boring and, and, <laughs> and stiff. I mean, me personally, I love sitting in the library and like reading through books and discovering things and writing out ideas. But I try to work with the students to get them uh, to not think about research as reading, taking notes, and then typing it up. But um, we work a lot with uh, drawing and diagramming ideas and the information, so how they can visualize their research, and it could potentially become a visual outcome, or just really becoming um, a critical reader in terms of mm. um, 
I mean, I do do some traditional exercises where they'll take a, a scholarly article and they have to do reading reaction to it where they, they can't do a book report type of thing like they're used to, but they have to really get in there and crit, with a critical eye in a way, tear the paper apart. And if they say something's wrong, they have to back it up. But that visualization of research and investigation is, is really important to getting them to warm up to the idea of research being more than something to do for that six-page paper you have to turn in at midterm. But <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and our, all of our studio instructors really f- reflect this, too, in terms of research and investigation becoming just an unquestionable inherent part of your studio practice, collecting images, analyzing those images, understanding why maybe you chose them, or if it was intuitive, how you might process them. And also that personal connection to understanding that research is, it happens in so many different ways and that they've got to find a personal process using good methodology and methods to be successful. Mm-hmm. What about you, Carrie? What are your thoughts? Well, I, well, you know, I, it varies according to, obviously, if I'm in art appreciation or in my 2D or drawing classes. Oh, yeah, sure. But the first thing I just wanted to really piggyback on, Jason talking about um, visualizing the research. And one thing that, you know, my students, too, in my design classes especially, are, you know, they're collecting images and working that way. And then the other thing that I use in conjunction with that is mind mapping. So doing, again, that kind of visual a visual and language-based kind of mapping device to work through ideas. And then the other thing, actually, responding again to what Jason said about the about critical reading, within my art, appre- art appreciation classes, we're doing group projects where they're presenting on artists. And something interesting that's come up there is they have to, when they present, they have to present um, what the critical reception and, if possible, what the public reception of the work is. And that's always such an interesting moment. And and maybe this speaks to criticism contemporarily as much as it speaks to other things. But my students will read a piece of criticism about an artist's show, and they won't know necessarily what it means. And, I mean, beyond just the art speak, it, it's become a process to help them decode just what how words are loaded and what subtle things mean in terms of whether or not critic is in support or not in support of things. So I know that was a bit of a sidestep, but it was... No, that's great. That, yeah. Definitely. Well, I know that we're coming to a close of our, you know, about an hour amount of time to sort of chat with each other. And I, I just was, was curious in terms of, you know, you guys are both involved in fate and you've been contributing to this community for a while. And I'm just curious, like, how did you get started? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I was actually thinking about that. I was like, how did I, how did I even get hooked up with fate? I mean, I knew about this stuff when I was here. I'd I'd always been doing CAA and like National Art Ed Association and Southeastern Uh College Art Conference. And I, fate was sort of this thing of like, oh my God, I want, I want to go to that party. (laughs) Um, You know, it's so cool. I want to learn all this stuff and be a part of it. And just, you know, 
talking um, at CCAC with all you folks. Uh, Val, we're getting to know you. Carrie, we've known each other since the arm wrestling days. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, we should have gone on the competitive circle, circuit. I would have managed you, but I totally, um, there's still time, Jason. There's still, there's time. still time. Awesome. Okay, fate. We'll start up. <laughs> yes. Um, but it, but I, I I think what what really got me involved in fate was uh, getting to to know all the folks and the important role that the organization was really playing in in your life, your teaching and pedagogy. And so I wanted to give it a try and propose a session, went, had a blast, met more folks. And now it's just like it's coming back into my class in a big way in terms of teaching, pedagogy, uh, helping my students out and sharing things with the department, too. Very cool. How about you? How about you, Carrie? Well, Fate first came onto my radar when I was looking for work. And there was a particular job application that um, wanted someone in foundations and specifically indicated that someone involved in organizations like Fate well considered. So I had no idea. So a little search later, I was able to discover you. <laughs> and then ironically, the first, um, I was adjuncting when I first went to my first fate conference and I you know, had no idea really what to expect. And I thought I would start with a coffee and I ran into Jason Swift at a table in the coffee room. Um, <laughs> She, she turned around and walked away instantly. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Smart, smart move, Carrie. Smart, smart move. <laughs> turn for the strange. Um, no, it's been wonderful. And the thing that has been really mar- remarkable is just how welcoming faders are and how much I've learned. Oh, my goodness. It's really profound. And the other things like you know, watching what happens on Facebook with Fate and how members are so willing to share what they know and support others, you know, in answering their questions. It's just, it's been a really great experience being involved with the community and everyone is so supportive. They really are. That's that's for sure one thing that I've enjoyed is just I've, everyone's really untucked and themselves and yeah. it's just so nice. And that's so cool that you got involved as an adjunct. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. Well, man, it, it has been absolutely lovely talking to you guys today. I really, really appreciate your willingness to um, set aside time. Jason, especially you being on sabbatical, that's really awesome. Yeah, I just, I very much thank appreciate you. it. Well, thank you for having us, Valerie. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Thank you. Awesome. I loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I, I just would probably be regretting if I didn't ask about the arm wrestling. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you want to tell the story? I mean, there, there's a whole lot more. It was, it was a special time of, in our life in the mountains of Vermont. It was a very special time. It was it was pretty magical. Jason and I went to art camp together. Adults, oh, so you guys, camp. So you guys went to Vermont Studio Center. We the, did. Yes, that's yeah. how that's nice. we met each other. And um, uh, Stephanie Patton was making videos of people arm wrestling. Uh huh. Carrie arm wrestled. I just sort of watched. Um, <laughs> But uh, it was art camp, and we had a, we had a lot of fun. We would sit in the studios together and just make art together at night. And there was 
Vern the Penguin. So it was. It was <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Vermont Studio Center. Sort of hard not to walk away from that place without just all the memories of like the campfires and shenanigans <laughs> and the long trails. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. We also had a variety show that year. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, Stephanie Patton organized a variety show. I had a salsa dancing accident. Had to go to get some stitches. Oh, seriously? It was action packed. Oh, wow. It was. We had a puppet show. <laughs> at it, iron artist. Very, oh yeah, that's right. You were a judge. Nice. I was. Nice. No, no, I was a commentator. Uh, oh, um, commentator, right? Forgive yeah, me. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like this might need to become some kind of a session proposal, like for for a fate session in the future. You know, where you sort of do some kind of a mashup, like reinterpretation of 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 all the all the bizarreness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I'm really grateful that I wasn't on Facebook at that time. <laughs> all I'm gonna say. Well, uh, right. Carrie, I I found tons and tons of photos of that. Uh, that I thought I had lost, so. Oh, no. Well, we're going to the next fate. Okay. <laughs> and I was going to say, if, if you want to pass them along, I'm happy to post them on, on the on the website whenever we link this. <laughs> well, I actually, it, it might have been fate. I actually, a session on artist residencies, I actually did do a talk about the Vermont Studio Center calling it Art Camp. Oh, I and think I went to that. I think that was a that. PCAC, wasn't it? it might I, wasn't, I wasn't able to attend. Because okay. it and had great photos in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. That's well, you guys, it's it's been lovely, and um, I look forward to seeing you guys for sure at, at the next Fate conference. Awesome. Thanks, Valerie. All right, thanks. thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversations on art foundations, visit the FATE website, foundationart.org. Don't forget the dash between the foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. Please join us next month for another visit to the Positive Space.